Today is the 12th February 2018. It's a Monday. In today's talk, I will first talk about the spirit of Metta, and then I will say a few words about Metta as a relational practice. But then the big bulk of this talk deals with Metta as a verb, or the fact that Metta must be expressed by actions of body and speech as well. But first of all, a quote from a Tibetan Buddhist teacher, Dilko Kienze Rinpoche. He passed away in 1991. He had said, each morning our first thought should be to dedicate the day for the welfare and well-being of all sentient beings. Wouldn't it, be uh, wouldn't it be a nice start into the day? Or any metta thought? So, yes, this is the metta, or the metta attitude. And Sayadaw Oindaka has said again and again that metta, this is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. And this benevolent wish for the welfare, for the happiness of all beings, this can be expressed in various ways. For example, as Sayadaw usually says, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. It could also be, may all beings be free from danger and harm. Or, may all beings live at ease and in peace. Or a wish, may all beings be free from all kinds of suffering. Or, may all beings be safe and protected. Sayadaw Oindaka has written a book on the practice of metta, of loving-kindness, and how it can serve as a foundation for the vipassana meditation practice. It's this book. I have translated it from Burmese into English, also into German. This actually is the German version. I have a few copies here. At the end of the retreat, we'll give you all the information where you can get this book or where you can download it on the internet. It's also been translated into Czech language and just recently into Russian, if that's easier for you to understand. <laughs> So in this book, Sayato describes the spirit of metta. And I think it's always good to remind ourselves again what it is. I will read a few 
of these descriptions. The spirit of metta is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. It is never a wish for anything that is not beneficial. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of other living beings. We never work to create unwholesome results or to inflict suffering. The spirit of metta is always and forever peaceful and cool. It never burns. Like the defilements or the hindrances, they are compared to fires. They burn the heart and the mind and even the body. The spirit of metta is always loving-kindness. It never turns to hatred. The spirit of metta is always soft, gentle, and subtle. It is never rough and harsh. The spirit of metta sees and looks at the good side. It does not look for faults or shortcomings. The spirit of metta is always forgiving. It is not oppressive or controlling. The spirit of metta works only for the benefit of others. It doesn't work for our own selfish benefit. The spirit of metta is free from entanglement. There is always independence. <clears throat> I think it is important to note that with the practice of loving-kindness, we do not approve of an unwholesome deed that somebody has done to us or to others. So when somebody has emotionally hurt us or even inflicted injuries on our body, then in a spirit of metta, we do not approve of this deed and say that this was right or justified. But with metta, we try not to react with anger or hatred and therefore close our heart for this particular person. And with metta, we can actually see more clearly because we do not fall into the trap of anger, ill will, aversion. With metta, we simply try to see this other person as just another living being who also wants happiness just like myself. As we have been saying many times, pure and genuine metta is not dependent on any conditions. Therefore, we call it also unconditional love. Metta does not select beings according to what they do or what they don't do. Metta does not expect anything 
in return. So our ability to be loving, to be kind, to be gentle, must be truly unconditional, must be truly limitless or boundless. As Sayadaw has said in his last talk, metta is this great power, this great force of the heart and the mind, this power to stay present and connected with ourselves and others, to stay present with this benevolent attitude in regard to all living beings, us included. Mahatma Gandhi called this the most powerful and the most subtle force in the universe. And in describing his own spiritual unfolding, Mahatma Gandhi had said, I hold myself to be incapable of hating any being on earth by a long course of prayerful discipline, I have ceased for over 40 years to hate anybody. I know this is a big claim. Nevertheless, I make it in all humility. So as we know, the practice of metta meditation, developing loving kindness, this practice is dealing with living beings. And you know uh, probably almost by heart now this classical description of what metta is. It's the wish for the happiness and welfare of all beings. And the fact that this practice deals with living beings, this is also true for the other three Brahma-viharas, namely karuna, compassion, mudita, sympathetic joy, and upeka, equanimity. They are all relational practices as they all deal with living beings and our relationship with them. So loving kindness is always relational. It's an attitude how we relate to others, to ourselves. And in the systematic practice of metta meditation, there is a certain sequence we go through. So we start with ourselves, and then from ourselves we first go to a person we respect or a benefactor. The next category is a very dear friend or a close person. Then the next category is a neutral person, then a person we hate, person we call our enemy, 
or more generally we could say difficult persons. And then from there we open up to other beings, to more beings. So then it can be groups of beings. Could be family members or colleagues at work or all female beings, all male beings, all beings we can see, all unseen beings, and so on. Or other groups are um, made when we do it in the different directions, as the old yogis are now engaged in, all beings in the east, in the west, and so on, so the ten directions. And then from there, finally, it's loving-kindness for all living beings, wherever they are. The Buddha didn't get tired to say how beneficial metta or a heart full of metta is and how beneficial it is to be kind, to be gentle, to be loving. And he said, even if this is just for one moment. Here is a passage from the Itivuttaka, where the Buddha said, if one shows kindness with a clear mind, even once for living beings, by that one abides in a wholesome state. I repeat, if one shows kindness with a clear mind, even once for all beings, by that one abides in a wholesome state. Very often, metta is used as a noun, so we translate it as loving kindness or benevolence, friendliness or unconditional love. As you know, with the practice of metta meditation, we develop, we cultivate, we strengthen this quality of loving-kindness in our heart and mind to make it really strong, to make it really powerful. And eventually, through the practice, metta becomes really powerful really strong, really pervasive. <clears throat> but even if the metta has become very powerful and very strong, the work is not yet finished, because once attained, it's not enough. It's not something that you then can tick off the list of what to do, so tick it off, done, next thing. <laughs> Metta is something we constantly need to engage in. We need to manifest it with all our being. We need to manifest it in all our actions, in whatever we do. And the Buddha also used the word Metta as a verb, 
metayati. And this emphasizes the fact that loving kindness is something you do, something you engage in, something you manifest. And in this passage that I just mentioned, there it says, if one shows kindness, so to show kindness, it's something you engage in, something you do. <clears throat> or we simply can say, to be kind, to be friendly, to be gentle. These are expressions of metta. Or metta bhavana, what we usually translate as metta meditation, the meditation on loving kindness. Actually, um, metta bhavana literally is translated as causing kindness to be. <clears throat> and so this kindness needs to be directed to somebody or something. Namely, we direct it to living beings. Our kindness, our metta, is directed towards a living being, but it is something that needs to be cultivated in ourselves. We simply take this other person or these other beings as the object for our metta meditation so that we can develop this wholesome quality in ourselves, that we can cultivate this metta attitude in our heart and mind. So kindness, metta, is not just an idea. It's not simply a nice intellectual thought, but it's a living emotion, if we can call it emotion. <clears throat> In your practice of the past three days for the newcomers, or the past three weeks for the old yogis, you have surely seen the difference between thinking a thought of loving-kindness and actually experiencing the benevolent and friendly quality of kindness. You know, the thoughts or the phrases, they act as a helpful basis and as a support for the arising and manifestation of metta. But the words or the metta phrases alone are not enough. The Buddha had said that nothing changes as quickly as the mind. For one part, the mind is constantly shifting from one object to another, or it is shifting between wholesome states of mind and unwholesome states of mind, 
or between good and beneficial mental states and detrimental and destructive states of mind. Again and again, we can hear it in the interviews when yogis report that finally, finally, they got to this place where the heart and the mind was full of metta, the metta just flowing, and it was feeling so nice. And then, the next second, the mind was filled with anger. <laughs> Something came up, inside or from outside, and boop, all the metta gone, all the anger up. And you know for yourself, this can happen in a split of a second. So coming back to that verse, so even if we have just one moment of loving-kindness in our heart and mind, then we have ennobled our heart and mind with a wholesome, with a beneficial state of mind. And with that, we have reduced the negativity, the unwholesomeness, by one moment. Because then in that moment, there is no anger, ill will, hatred. There is also no craving, attachment, envy, and so on. And even if we might think that this does not really make a difference, you know, just one moment of kindness, it actually does make a difference, and a greater difference that we think. Each moment of loving-kindness is actually very powerful, and it can have far-reaching effects. I think we all have experienced times when we were caught in negativity, where everything seemed to be against us. And in such moments, it seems impossible or very, very difficult to think a kind thought. At such a, such a moment, we cannot think of one good reason why anyone should deserve our kindness. And even though this seems impossible, we should try it anyway. Can we just think a kind thought, a meta-thought, for example, for a person for whom usually we uh, can easily arise a meta-thought? And even though this meta-thought might not come from the deepest place in our heart, however, already the intention to think a kind thought is turning the mind in a good direction, in a wholesome direction. So even if it's just for one brief moment, it will have a transformative effect upon the heart and the mind. It will help change the dynamic of our heart and mind. And this really makes a difference. And in this way, this can be 
a helpful start to get out of the negativity. In one of his talks during the first Metta Retreat, Sayadaw has talked about the three levels of Metta. And I think it will not hurt to talk about it again, also for the benefit of the new yogis. And these three levels of Metta are, the first one is called in Pali, Kaya Kama Metta, which means Metta expressed by body, Metta expressed in physical action. The second level is called Vachi Kama Metta, Metta expressed in speech. And the third level is called Mano Kama Metta, Metta expressed in the mind, by thoughts. So here in our metta meditation practice, we develop metta in our heart, in our mind. We develop it on the mental level with the help of these metta phrases, metta wishes. And so with this practice here, in a formal retreat, we try to make this quality of kindness, friendliness, benevolence, we try to make it strong and powerful. We also, and by doing this practice, we also make it a new habit so that the natural tendency of the heart and mind is to dwell in metta and not in ill will or anger or attachment and craving. So a few words to Kaya Kama Metta, Metta expressed by the body in physical actions. So this loving kindness, this quality of friendliness we cultivate in formal practice in our heart and mind, this must translate into metta-infused actions. So we must manifest this gentle, friendly, and loving attitude in each of our bodily actions. A couple of meditators who are here since the beginning of the first Metta Retreat have reported in an interview that by now the Metta has become really strong and powerful, that it has become really firm. And in trying to explain what this Metta quality feels like, what this strong Metta feels like, they said that actually it was very gentle and soft. And one yogi uh, said that this was just gentleness. And then she added saying it was like having round edges. Yes. And this gen gentleness, this metta, 
then naturally translates in gentle and soft meta-actions and also in gentle, soft, loving meta-speech. However, and this is very important to understand, this gentleness or this softness, this friendliness, does not mean weakness, not at all. It is soft and gentle, but it's very firm. It's very powerful. Sayada also tried to convey this in his last talk. The baseline of being a decent and kind human being is that we do not want to hurt or harm other people and beings. And we even don't want to disturb them or to cause the slightest irritation. So for example, here you are in a meditation center and you practice meditation, meta-meditation. And one disturbance that very often causes irritation or even outright anger to yogis is noise, be it noise from the environment or be it noise from other fellow meditators. And from your own practice, you know how this can be really disturbing, how much this causes irritation, dislike, anger, and so on. So, in the spirit of metta, we can try to move around without making any noise, or at least with as little noise as is possible. Like Sayodo reminded you of this yesterday in the dining hall. Moving around quietly and not making much noise is a manifestation of metta in physical action. If you move around gently, softly, quietly, then it shows that you care for the welfare of the other yogis, that you do not want to disturb them in any way. And if you think, well, they should simply be mindful of the noise or to be tolerant with it, then it shows that within the context of a metta-meditation retreat, you do not really care. It does not, or it shows that you do not fully understand that with the metta practice, we stay on a conventional level. Or as I mentioned earlier in the talk, we stay on a relational level. It's a relational practice. Seen from a vipassana perspective, yes, noise is simply noise. And one should be mindful of the noise, should be mindful of the fact that one is hearing, or mindful of the fact that anger has arisen, for example. But 
as I said here, we practice metta meditation. And also, out in the world, we cannot expect everybody to be a vipassana meditator and so therefore justify our inconsiderate behavior, thinking they should be mindful of it. Sometimes an inconsiderate behavior in a retreat is simply the side effect of any kind of concentration practice. And metta bhavana is one of the many forms of concentration practice. But on top of concentration develop, developing um, concentration, we also develop metta, loving kindness. So they go hand in hand. We must develop both. But with um, samatha practices, concentration practices, it can easily happen that one is absorbed into the object of one's meditation to the point where one is no longer aware of one's action, where one is no longer aware of the impact our action has. For example, one could be in the dining hall while, um, and uh, developing metta for all living beings, as Sayadaw has instructed you. So may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. So really wishing all beings to be happy and to be well, but really not being aware that um, moving the chair, you're making so much noise and disturbing the being, the person right next to you or many meditators in the dining hall. So when we engage in metta meditation practice, we must develop both the metta and the concentration, but also to be aware of the space in which we cultivate loving kindness. This means to be aware of other persons who are around, and then adjust one's behavior accordingly. Then it becomes a meta-infused action, physical action. Most nights in the meta-chanting, we also recite the meta-sutta, in English, and there we have the passage, whether standing or walking, sitting or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. If we want metta to become a sublime abiding, a Brahma-vihara, then we need to embody this friendly, this benevolent and gentle meta-attitude all the time. We must embody it, we must manifest it in all the different postures throughout the day. 
And here is an example, a little story, of a quite an ordinary person who expressed his kindness, his metta, in a physical action. And this action had a tremendous impact. A meditator told me this story a few years ago in a retreat in Ireland. That meditator, his name was Tom, so he and his brothers, they went to visit his parents who were staying in a ski resort in Switzerland, in Klosters, southeastern part. And when they were younger, every year the family had spent uh, winter holidays there. And one day they decided to go skiing. Tom did not bring his skis, but there was a spare pair of skis, but his ski boots needed to be adjusted to these skis. And so the father took Tom and his brother with the car into the village, dropped Tom at the ski shop, and took his brother to another shop where the brother needed to get a few things. And they said that they would meet again at the corner where the pharmacy was. Now it took much longer to adjust the boots to the skis for Tom. And when he had finally finished and went to that corner where the pharmacy was, the father was not there, the brother was not there. He waited a little bit and then he remembered that he had forgotten the ski pass at home. He didn't have a mobile phone with him. So then he took the bus, the local bus, and went home. In the meantime, the father had been driving around in the village to search for Tom. And not finding him, he got very impatient and upset. And finally, the father decided to go home and see whether he was there or not. Sure enough, Tom was at home. And the father lashed out his anger. And Tom, being a meditator, um, just stood there saying nothing, letting his father's angry word shower over him. And the father didn't stop, kept on talking angrily to him. And at one point, Tom could almost not bear it anymore, but he was careful not to say anything or to reply angrily to. So he went out into the kitchen, but the father followed him <laughs> and continued his angry words. And then um, Tom did something completely unexpected and surprising. He went up to, this, to his father and simply gave him a big and loving hug. And completely taken by surprise, the father immediately lost his anger, just blown away. Everything was fine. So then they went and had a wonderful day of skiing together.
or there is another wonderful story that shows metta in action as a physical deed. It's about a policeman in Switzerland. And this happened many, many years ago in a town called Olten. So one day, this policeman saw a car that was wrongly parked in front of the church in the center of town. So as it was his duty, he took out his book and wrote the fine. And at that time, the fine was simply put under the wiper of the car. And as he was doing that, he saw opposite there a woman with three small children coming out of a shoe shop, the Vögele shoe shop. And they were walking in the direction of the car. Now the car was an old car, quite run down. The kids were wearing old and torn clothes and the mother's hair was long and untidy. And in this very brief moment, the policeman realized that the woman would not have the money to pay for the fine. And he concluded that she simply had parked the car in front of the church very briefly to go into the shoe shop, get some, get some shoes on sale for her kids, and then go home. And so with these thoughts, the policeman um, took the fine, put it into his pocket, and quickly walked away before the mother would spot him. But because the fine had already been written, he could not simply throw it away. So he went to the nearby post office and paid the, the fine from his own pocket. The second level is the Vachi Kama Metta. Our speech must be imbued with Metta, meaning that we should use speech that is, first of all, true and beneficial. This uh, was always the baseline of the Buddha's uh, teaching regarding speech. Only speech when it is true and beneficial. But then we should also make sure to use speech that is free from aversion or hatred, irritation, using speech that is sweet, beneficial, and pleasing to hear, as we sometimes chant in our metta chant, Meta indeed, speech and thought, and using speech that conduces to understanding, to harmony, and to a, to a peaceful living together. <clears throat> our speech, our words, 
they have a tremendous impact on others, but also on ourselves. And because we speak so much in our everyday lives, and because it's become such a habitual action, we often are not aware how we use our speech. And as a result, we are often not aware that our words hurt or harm or cause irritation, or sometimes that our words, our speech causes strong anger to arise. So here is an example of an Israeli meditator in Jerusalem. She had made it an essential practice to use her speech in a way that does not add more hate to the world. Apparently, it doesn't snow very often in Jerusalem. But then, when it does, everything slows down. And so, this meditator didn't get the newspaper that morning when it had snowed. And so, she wanted to know whether the newspaper was to be delivered later on in the day. So she called the company to find out. And the person who answered the phone said that she, the meditator, was the first person on the phone that she, that day, who was not angry. And then the meditator told the woman on the phone that she had made a commitment to not add more hatred to the world because there is simply already enough. It's very touching. It's very beautiful. It needs a great deal of commitment and also awareness, mindfulness, not to fall prey to our habitual reactions. In regard to actions of body, speech, and mind, once the Buddha told Venerable Ananda that bodily acts of loving-kindness create love and respect, and they conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. And likewise, the Buddha said, verbal acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. And also, the Buddha said, mental acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. So, if the heart and mind is really, really full of metta, of friendliness, of gentleness, of kindness, then the actions of body and speech will also be infused with metta. Then they will become metta actions and metta speech. 
Now going to the third level, mano kama metta, metta expressed in the mind, metta expressed as thoughts. You know, we cannot see or smell or touch another person's metta, but all the same, it's a tremendous force, it's a great power. And it's a force that has a great power for transformation and a great power um, or having great impact on other beings, be they humans, animals, or any other kind of beings. So in regard to Manokama Metta, the Metta expressed in the mind, or the mind, the heart full of Metta, here is another story to illustrate it. It's about a Burmese monk who lived in the last century before the Second World War. His name was U Sila, and he lived in different forest monastery, monasteries in the district of Pago, southeast of Yangon. And he practiced a lot of meditation and placing special emphasis on the practice of metta meditation. And while he was staying in one of these forest monasteries, and at that time they were real forest monasteries, it was real jungle. So at that time a large tiger came every evening and slept under the hut, like Usila's hut was built on stilts above the earth. So there was a space below the hut. So this large tiger came every night and uh, slept under the hut. And it never attacked Usila or the attendant, a layman, who was staying with Usila. And one morning during the cool season, his attendant was sitting under the hut and he had made a fire to warm himself a bit. And the tiger also came and it decided also to warm itself near the fire. So he curled up next to the attendant and the fire. And it was daylight and the attendant was not afraid. And the tiger became sleepy and then he yawned. And yawning, tiger opened his uh, uh, big mouth and when the attendant uh, saw the big mouth of the tiger, he had a thought or he imagined what would happen if he would throw a burning piece of wood into the tiger's mouth. And as soon as this unwholesome thought had arisen in the attendant's mind, the tiger made a loud and frightening roaring sound. And we must remember 
the burning wood was not yet thrown into the tiger's mouth. It was only a thought. And Usila, the monk, was inside the hut, and it was just made of bamboo, so um, everything could be heard. And so when he heard the roar of the tiger, he called out, hey, attendant, pay attention to your thoughts. It seems you had a harmful thought directed to the tiger. After this reprimand from Usila, the attendant realized what he had done. And so he also started to develop metta for the tiger. And then, as a result of that, the tiger went back to sleep and slept peacefully, as he always did. <clears throat> so, metta, as this friendly, gentle, benevolent, or loving attitude, quality of the heart and mind, must be cultivated and manifested on all three levels. Meta in deed, meta in speech, meta in thought. And even if one were to attain the highest jhana that is possible through the practice of metta meditation, this would not yet be enough. The practice would not yet be complete or perfected. Only when metta shines forth from our whole being, in all situations, under all circumstances, can we say that our metta is complete, that it has been perfected. I will end this quote, no, this talk, with a quote from Acharya Buddharakita. He was an Indian monk, and he had established the Mahabodhi Society in Bangalore. And there are um, also sister branches. So he had said, if the quality of metta is sufficiently cultivated through metta bhavana, meditation on loving kindness, the result is the acquisition of a tremendous inner power which protects and heals both oneself and others. I thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.